As we continue in our series, let's have God's Word open us up to Acts chapter 20. We are in the book of Acts chapter 20, and we'll be reading from verse 17 to 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 24. And when you're there, I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 20 beginning on verse 17. Now this is the word of the Lord. Now for Maltus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So far in our series entitled Beautiful Feed, uh, we have looked at the following questions. First we asked, what is evangelism? Uh, Evangelism is... uh, when the news of salvation in Jesus is verbally proclaimed through humans to other humans. And so when asked, what is evangelism? We said that there is a verbal element uh, to evangelism. It's not just living the gospel, but it's proclaiming the gospel. The next question we asked uh, was, why should we evangelize? And we said that... um, when, um, or when asked why should we evangelize, we answered simply, because the gospel is true. We know that apart from Jesus, there is no life, and only in Jesus can we truly live. And so when we consider the weight of all of this, uh, not just the consequences, but also the joyous invitation that the gospel offers, we are compelled to evangelize. You know, often when we see Christians who are passionate about reaching others, we think to ourselves, wow, they must really love evangelism. But you know, the truth is, it's not evangelism that they love. It's the gospel that they love and cherish. And as a result of that, people go out to evangelize. Uh, A few years ago, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, wrote an autobiography And in his autobiography, Phil Knight explains why he was so successful at selling sneakers. 
Before he started his company, Phil Knight, he tried to sell all, all sorts of things. Uh, encyclopedias, remember that? Uh, he tried selling mutual funds, and he wasn't successful at that. And Phil Knight writes that it felt like death to him. He hated selling. So, why was selling shoes so different? It's because Phil Knight believed in running. He writes, I believed that if people went out, went out and ran a few miles every day, the world would be a better place. Because Phil Knight believed in running, and he believed that his shoes were the best for running, he says that selling shoes, it didn't make him feel like a dirty salesman. He was so confident in going around and selling shoes because he believed in running. So why do we evangelize? We evangelize not because we believe in evangelism, but because we believe the gospel. Last week we asked the question, uh, whom should we evangelize? And the short answer is everyone, but more specifically, uh, the people whom the Lord has placed in your life. Now today, as we close out this series, I want to examine uh, a more practical question, and that is, how should we evangelize? How? And to do this, to answer this question, we'll look at Acts 20, uh, today's passage, which is Paul's own summary of his evangelistic efforts in the city of Ephesus. Now before I begin, I want to be clear. Um, There is no uh, one-size-fits-all method to evangelism. Evangelism isn't like a formula where if you follow A, B, C, and D, it will result in certain conversions. No, uh, evangelism isn't a formula. However, at the same time, I think today's passage sums up well what evangelism often looks like. And from this, uh, I think we can draw principles on how to evangelize. So... How should we evangelize? Um, I'll present to you four principles. Uh, the first is this. Uh, it's we should evangelize confidently. Uh, next, we should evangelize communally. Uh, we should evangelize urgently. And our evangelism should be sacrificially. So we'll go through each one quickly. First, confidently. Uh, whenever Paul goes to share the good news of Jesus, whenever he goes out to evangelize, Paul never sticks to one method. He isn't a one-trick pony. He's able to uh, minister and preach and share to all sorts of people in all various ways. However, the spirit by which he shares the good news is always the same. And that spirit is a spirit of boldness, a spirit of confidence. If you look at, at me with, um, in, in your Bibles, look at verse 20. This is what Paul writes. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. The word that Paul used here for shrink, uh, it means to be hesitant or timid, to be silent. And Paul is essentially saying this as he sums up his ministry in Ephesus. He's saying, when I was with you, I never withdrew. I was never passive, and at every opportunity, I was bold. I spoke up, and I confidently proclaimed to you the good news. Uh, I don't know about you, 
But ever since I became a Christian um, and I started to evangelize, I always struggled with being timid. Uh, I've always worried about being um, insensitive or offending the other person. If you don't know me by now, you can tell that I'm a very PC guy. I was always scared that I'll be misunderstood. And I was always afraid that I will ruin the relationship. You know, when I lived in New York, you know, you're always, you're constantly surrounded by people, especially during the morning and evening commutes. And, you know, frankly, there were moments where I felt the Spirit leading me to speak to some random people about Jesus. And for those of you who've experienced, you know that feeling, right, that comes upon you, right? Should I go talk to this person? Should I go or not? And it, it feels like you're on a scale. You're about to tip over on one side. And there were times where I would just get up and go and share. But there were also other times where I would get up, go, and I would chicken out at the last moment. And <laughs> go up and, you know, say, I'm going to go, you know, share the gospel. And then I, I get scared at the end. And I just go over and I say something stupid like, hey, nice bag. <laughs> uh, and I just walk away. Um, Right, there's this feeling that you don't want to be the weird guy on the train, right? Because you have to... Because if you miss and you become the weird guy, then you have to sit there being the weird guy for the entire trip. Uh, you know, yeah, there were times where, you know, I felt the spirits, you know, hey, speak to the person next to you. Um, and, you know, I would, I would bargain. I would find myself bargaining with God. I would say, God, you know what? If he stays on for three more stops, then I'll know. Then I'll know, right? And I would say, God, you know, Canal Street, Canal Street. If he's there at Canal Street, then I'll speak to him. Then I'll know. It's what you want me to do. And, you know, when Canal Street comes, I would, um, again, chicken out by saying something stupid. I'd say, hey, how about that food cart on Canal Street? You know, something, something just off. Um, yeah, here, just, just, just a side note, um, if ever you're out in public and some random guy comes up to you and says something really strange, it might be that he or she is actually trying to evangelize but became afraid. So an, a good counter to all of that would be, hey, are you trying to talk to me about Jesus? That would, uh, that would ease a lot of uh, the, uh, the tension. But, you know, not just with random people on the street in public, but with loved ones, friends, relatives... Uh, whenever, you know, there is this intention of wanting to share the gospel with them, um, you know, it, it's, always, it's always difficult for me because, you know, I, I shrink up inside. I shrink up. You know, I always find myself trying to do like this conversational like jujitsu, trying to somehow always, re, you know, get it around back to Jesus or, you know, I feel at times like I'm pandering to them and then trying to, you know, get them, you know, with that left hook when they least uh, expect it. So if you are like me, um, if you are timid, uh, if you are overly worried, maybe you're afraid, and you want to be more confident in evangelizing, you know, I recommend, you know, just read through Acts and see how the early disciples evangelized. Because even in Acts, the disciples, even though they seem so bold, uh, this confidence actually didn't come from them. The disciples weren't innately confident people. If you look in Acts 4.29, this is the prayers of the disciples. They say this, Lord, look upon their threats 
And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're asking God, help us to be bold as we proclaim. Even Paul himself, who seemed to just ooze and seep with confidence. Even Paul himself, time and time again, he asks people, pray for me for boldness. Ephesians 6.19, he says this, Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Friends, confidence and boldness, according to the Bible, isn't a personality trait. But confidence is something that is received through the Holy Spirit, usually in the form of conviction. And ultimately, Our confidence in evangelism comes not from ourselves, but it comes from the message itself. It comes from the good news itself that only Jesus saves. And when we believe in this message, we can go out and confidently say, yes, Jesus saves. And so when you do share the gospel, please, I pray that you do it confidently. Not abrasively, not obtrusively, not obnoxiously, but confidently as you trust in the power and the veracity of the gospel. So we find Paul, when he evangelizes, he does it with confidence. The second, um, the second uh, thing that we can learn is evangelism is done communally. And what do I mean by this? Well, if you look at the way in which Paul evangelizes in Ephesus, he doesn't consider evangelism to just be his personal endeavor or his individual mission. But if you look, Paul, he constantly engages the entire community. He engages the entire body of believers, the church, to go out and to reach the city. It's not Paul who is on a one-man mission. No, he gets the entire church involved. You know, Ephesus, I think, is a great uh, test case because it's one of the more successful cases of evangelism and missions in Acts. But if you look at Acts 18, or I have uh, it all written out, this is what happens. Acts 18, Paul goes and he plants a church, and then he leaves right after. But before he leaves, he lets Priscilla and Aquila stay behind so they can minister, right? So he engages this couple. And then Acts 19, he comes back to Ephesus, and there he starts to co-labor with the church. He preaches in the synagogues and in the lecture halls, and he spends two years in Ephesus working with the church there. And then finally in Acts 20, after he leaves, he comes back and he joins the church. Um, He joins the elders of Ephesus in Miletus, and there he's addressing the leaders of the church, to continue the work of the gospel all throughout that city. Now, as we examine this, you know, I think while, while, we, might, while we might think that this is a, um, an obvious point of engaging the church and the body, I think it's important that we um, make this explicit and remind you that evangelism isn't something that you're just supposed to do by yourself. The encouragement or the challenge is to engage the church. Engage the church in prayer and for help regarding the people that you are trying to reach. So that when the individual comes to church, 
we can actively co-labor to win that soul for Jesus. You know, Pastor Walton mentioned this last week, but, you know, evangelism takes place also within the walls of the church. You know, I know that there might be people that you are actively trying to reach, right? There are people probably in your workplace or your family or your homes, wherever it might be, you're trying to reach those people. Yes, that's great. But, you know, here today, there might be people that your brothers and sisters were trying to reach, and they finally brought them to come out to church. And so, welcoming, showing hospitality, reaching out, praying for one another, even within the walls of the church, are all evangelistic efforts. But sometimes... It seems, if you look at the church, it seems that Christians only care for the souls that they're trying to reach themselves. As if we're all just working on commission. You know what I mean? Right? You ever, you ever go to a store and try to get help, but all the sales associates are reluctant to help you? They won't go near you or talk to you because you're already being helped by another sales associate? And that person already owns your commission. <laughs> so they're like, no, 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 you, you have someone helping you already. Or, or you're at a restaurant, it's crowded, and you just need a napkin. Or you need a glass of water. And there are servers and waitresses and waiters everywhere walking around. But the only person that will help you is your server. <laughs> because they're working on tip. Now, I, I understand the hospitality and the food industry and... Um, you know, retail business. I understand how it works that way. But too often the church operates in this way, where we view evangelism just as a personal endeavor when it should be viewed as a communal enterprise. So, you know, something very practical is after service today, right, go to people that you don't know. Maybe that person is being reached out to trying to be evangelized by someone in our congregation. So first, uh, confidently, we find uh, communally as Paul engages the entire church. It's not Paul on this one-man mission that he's, he's trying to evangelize an entire city. The second um, that we learn is Paul um, evangelizes urgently. There's a spirit of urgency in his evangelism. You know, at this point in Acts 20, the ministry in Ephesus uh, was really exciting, and it was bearing a lot of fruit. Paul stayed for about two years, and if you read in Acts 19, what happens is the entire city, this great city of Ephesus, gets turned upside down by the gospel, right? Imagine that, an entire city being turned upside down, And, And in Acts 19, I think one of the most powerful witnesses of the gospel occurs, and that's an entire city's economy changes. Ephesus was built upon idol worship, and when they receive the gospel, this whole economy gets turned upside down. You see the real fruits of the gospel being bore out. There's real evidence of God's salvation. Now, while Paul could have stayed, while he could have stayed and enjoyed the fruits of his labor, Paul knows that he has to move on. He has to go to other regions to preach the gospel. And so even in today's passage, in verse 17, he actually asks the elders of the church to come, meet me at Miletus, because 
I don't have time to go to Ephesus. Paul needs to go to Jerusalem quickly because the day of Pentecost is coming. And he knows that it's an opportune time for evangelism. So even though Paul would have loved to stop by Ephesus and to see the church and the saints and the city all over again, he says, I need to move on quickly to spread the gospel in Jerusalem. We find that Paul, in his evangelistic efforts, when he was present, he gave everyone, you know, his entire attention. But he also, behind it, was a sense of urgency to quickly move and to continue to preach and evangelize. Friends, there is a real sense of urgency behind evangelism. Whenever we look at cases of evangelism in the Bible, it's always with the spirit of urgency. You know, people don't go around sharing the gospel and say, hey, this is the gospel. Why don't you go home and think about it? (laughs) Take a couple of weeks. Next month, I'll talk to you again. No, when they share the gospel, they say now. Repent now and believe now. Because salvation is present. It is here now. Believe now. There's a real sense of urgency behind evangelism because the consequences are too grave and the calling is too important. The invitation is too great. Our evangelism should always be backed by a spirit of urgency. Not a spirit of haste, but a spirit of urgency urgency. And if I can say this honestly, it seems to me today that the church, we have lost the spirit of urgency behind evangelism. We procrastinate when it comes to a lot of things, but we especially procrastinate when it comes to evangelism, thinking that we have the luxury of time, whether it's ministering and sharing the gospel to our children, our family, our parents, our co-workers. We think we have this luxury of time, when in fact we don't. A few weeks ago, I was reading a biography uh, of a man uh, named John Harper. I have his photo up. This is how he looks. Uh, He was born in a Christian home uh, in 1872 in Glasgow, Scotland. And when he was 14 years old, he became a Christian. And from that time on, John Harper was passionate about reaching people for Christ. You can find him at the age of 17 on the streets of his village, preaching to people, going down, up and down the street, pouring out his soul, pleading with people to receive Jesus. He later on became a pastor. He was pastoring a church in London. And Harper, even though he was a pastor, he was fervent and faithful in evangelism. He continued to just evangelize and reach people. In fact, he was so zealous for evangelism that he was even asked to come to Chicago to the famous Moody Church to lead evangelistic meetings and to win souls for Christ. He came over to Chicago, uh, led a successful uh, campaign of reaching people. He was asked to come back again a few years later, and he decided to do so. Uh, In the early 1900s, John Harper, he boarded a ship in England, and he started his voyage back to America to evangelize. Now, before he got on the ship, his wife had died, um, 
a few years before, and so he brought with him his only child, Nana, who was six years old at the time, his daughter. As they were on the ship together, uh, suddenly the ship hits an iceberg. Uh, When the flames go up or uh, the signals go up for everyone to evacuate the boat, uh, Harper, he takes his six-year-old daughter, Nana, he puts her onto a lifeboat, and he assures her, he tells her, there's going to be a boat that comes for me. Go first, go first. And after he had sent his daughter and seen her for the very last time, John Harper, who was actually wearing a life vest, he takes it off and he gives it to someone who needed it. And there on the top deck of the ship, he kneels down and he starts pouring out his soul for the salvation of people. He starts praying for them. The ship sinks. There are over 1,500 people in the freezing water of the Atlantic. Oh, man testifies. He sees John Harper holding a piece of wreckage. Over 1,500 people in the water just holding on for their dear lives. John Harper actually comes over to this man and he calls out to him. He says, man, are you saved? The man says, no, I'm not. And he shouts back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The waves bore Harper away. He, He gets He gets pushed aside, um, and a few minutes later, he swims back to this man holding this wreckage, and he calls out to him a second time, are you saved, man, now? The man says, no. And in that night, he cries out, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then shortly after, John Harper, who was holding on to this piece of wood for his dear life, used up his entire energy to share this news, and he just sinks down into the deep of the ocean. And that man says, there alone in the night, with two miles of water underneath me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. That ship was the Titanic. And that man's name wasn't Jack from, <laughs> from Titanic. It wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> but that man's name was Stuart John Stewart. And a few weeks later at a prayer meeting in Ontario, he stands up and he shares how he came to faith. He says, while I was holding on for my dear life, another man who was also holding on for his dear life came to me and he testified of Jesus and his saving grace. This news got out. This story got out. People knew exactly who that individual was. It was John Harper. And the reason why they knew it was John Harper, because people on the Titanic, when they were those who were saved, they testified that John was different. That John was a man of leisure, yet a man of urgency. He was a humble man, yet a man with confidence. And people testified that even while they were on that boat, even when the ship was smooth sailing, John Harper was trying to win people for Christ. He was in the gambling corners. He was in the banquet halls trying to win souls for Christ. Harper lived the way that he died, and he died the way that he lived. You know, John Harper wasn't just urgent because he was about to die and he saw 
a sea of people drowning. No, John Harper was always urgent in his evangelistic zeal. He knew the consequences and the joyous invitation that the gospel gave. And wherever he went, he always, with an urgent spirit, yet with such leisure, they say, shared the gospel with those around him. So we find how to evangelize confidently, communally, urgently, and finally, um, sacrificially. Uh, Let me just uh, make this short. You know, when it comes to evangelism, there is a cost. There is a cost. It comes with a cost. If you want to evangelize, there is a cost. It's a small cost. You have to be willing to sometimes look like a fool. Uh, You have to be willing to sometimes be called intolerant, to sometimes be uh, called annoying or that Jesus guy. Um, And sometimes you have to be willing to even lose the relationship. We find here that as Paul urgently heads to Jerusalem, he knows that everything is not going to go well. He knows that when he arrives in Jerusalem, people aren't going to welcome him with open arms and say, come, 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 we've been waiting for you all along. He knows that persecution awaits. But I want you to listen to what he says in Acts 20, 24. He says this as he thinks about this mission that is ahead of him. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Friends, I know that you might have a lot of goals this year, a lot of things you want to achieve in life. But we have no higher calling than to go out and to proclaim the name This is the mission, this is the calling that the Lord has placed upon all of us to go out and proclaim, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the goal for all of your relationships, for your employment, for your studies, whatever it may be. The highest calling that we have received is to make Jesus As we conclude, I know that this might seem like a very daunting task. Who am I to go out and proclaim confidently? Who am I to engage the church? You know, who am I uh, to, to be urgent? And who am I to be sacrificial? I can't do this. But if you feel as though this is a daunting task, friends, I want to remind you that we are just simply feet. We are feet. We are those called to carry the news, not those called to reenact the news. We are called not to accomplish salvation, but we are called to take what Jesus has accomplished and share it, to proclaim it freely. And while there may be a cost to evangelism, while it may be sacrificial, friends, always be reminded that the ultimate sacrifice is from Christ himself who gave his life for us so that we may truly live. I ask, would you go forth knowing that this is your calling from the Lord, that those whom the Lord has placed in your life, 
he has placed so that you may share and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Join me in prayer at this time.